today on Ag News Daily. So I uh, live in South Central uh, North Dakota. I worked for a couple different elevators uh, and then in July of 2021 um, I started a uh, calf screen marketing company. Uh, so we focus mainly on helping farmers uh, through education, understanding basis. And- With the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. It's Market Monday episode, September 18th, 2023. This episode is brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. Delaney, do you and your husband farm smart? Well, I'd like to think so, Tanner, but we got into the field this weekend, so maybe Blaine will be listening to the Farm Smart Podcast. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I saw you guys started with soybeans. Hopefully everything is going well. We do have... Some thunderstorms headed to our friends in Nebraska and Kansas and other parts of the Midwest. This evening, there are chances for some gusty winds with those storms. South central Wisconsin may see scattered storms in the forecast for late this evening. Other parts of the Midwest might see some increasing rainfall chances as well. Iowa, Minnesota, parts of Illinois, Indiana, and Missouri saw weather conditions that could now be extending its way into New Mexico. Texas and New Mexico are obviously looking for rainfall, but it doesn't look like a substantial amount of that will be headed that way. As we look through this week, we do see uh, strong odds for patchy fog as we wake up each morning this week. We also saw Hurricane Lee transitioned into a mid-latitude storm that is transitioned out of hurricane status. It's finally gone. The storm was named on the September 5th, and by September 16th, it completed its extra-tropical transition, morphing into a nor'easter. This is where New England, part of Maritime Canada, uh, Washington County of Maine, All saw substantial rain and wind this last day or two, and now we've seen flood warnings that are coming about in the northeastern part of the U.S., Delaney, but that's to get everybody caught up on weather. We do have a new named Hurricane Nigel that is out in the Atlantic that we will keep our eyes on, but uh, it may be one that never reaches landfall, so be quite interesting. It's right now got 80-mile-per-hour winds and is looking to increase as the week goes on. Tanner, what do you think we'll see as far as harvest conditions and and, uh, progress goes today? I don't think we will see much for updates on progress, Uh, maybe a couple of percentages in the corn and soybeans category. Probably going to see a much bigger jump next week's report. Okay, well, we'll see that tomorrow and report to our listeners where that report came out today. But Tanner, over the weekend, we saw U.S. and Chinese diplomats met And the specific representatives were the U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, as well as China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi. They held two days of talks in Malta to discuss the tensions continuing to escalate in Russia and Ukraine, Taiwan, and also the Korean Peninsula. 
doesn't sound like there were any major breakthroughs, but the two sides said that the talks were candid, substantive, and constructive. Doesn't seem that tensions seem to be cooling off, however, after those two-day meetings, because we saw the Chinese military reportedly flew 100 warplanes toward Taiwan following the end of the meetings, Sunday to Monday, during a 24-hour stretch there, as their military drills around the island of Taiwan continue. Now we see Wang Yi will be headed to Russia for four days of meetings, including meetings with their foreign minister. And uh, this is shortly after, of course, we saw Kim Jong-un leave Russia as well. So lots of big political meetings going on this week, Tanner, but not a lot of news and information about what was actually discussed during those meetings. That's correct. It seems to be uh, held very tightly to the vest. We did get uh, the other side of headlines coming out of the CO2 pipeline conversation we reported on in South Dakota. The recently failed permit application is not necessarily end of the carbon capture pipeline in the state of South Dakota, according to Navigator CO2. As Elizabeth Burns Thompson, a spokesperson, said they have not removed any state off of their original map. The South Dakota Public Utilities Commission unanimously voted, like we reported last week, to deny the application for construction permit. Since then, Burns Thompson said that the Omaha, Nebraska-based company has released a couple of contract agents and walked back business operations for their South Dakota footprint. This company is reallocating resources elsewhere along the pipeline trail until a written permit can be obtained. It's important for us to see in black and white, Burns Thompson said, that the, what the approach will look like within the state of South Dakota. Uh, part of the project is based upon communication with landowners, and they stated that their company will continue to work through negotiations, as well as look at conversations around the direction of easements. So continuing to keep an eye on that, Navigator applied for its permit in South Dakota. So as we reported last week, we'll continue to keep an eye on the pipeline's progress in South Dakota and also what Navigator CO2 has planned for other states along their pipeline, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. I think it'll be uh, good. We should try to get Elizabeth Burns Thompson on for an interview and an update, perhaps, although I'm sure she's fielding a lot of those right now. That's a good idea. Well, Tater, uh, we should also potentially have an interview here soon about increasing farmland prices as experts are mixed on whether or not the value for farmland prices will plateau this year or head higher. As we look at record-breaking farmland sales again in 2023, we're starting to see some surging voices that perhaps into 2024, we're going to see a plateau of farmland values. According to the executive vice president of business development for farm credit services, he said that as a whole, he anticipates to see the flattening of prices throughout the remainder of this year and headed into 2024. Chief economist at Farmer Mac said that you're still going to see positive gains in land values quarter over quarter, but at a much reduced rate compared to 21 or 22. So today we're seeing double digit gains annually, but he's saying maybe one to 3% gains overall. So that certainly is an impactor there as well as loans are on the rise as you've reported on many times before Tanner, but as we look at farmland sale that data for the top 18 states, 
all saw the average sale price increase between June of 21 and June of 22, as well as June of 22 to June of 23. However, the rate of growth between 21 and 22 was higher for most states than in past years. And that, again, they said is probably going to come back down in 2024. But like I said, mixed values there as others are reporting that they believe that land values will hold steady, if not continue to increase in value. Uh, Tanner, your friend David Whitaker from the Farm for Profit podcast said that he believes that when looking at the numbers from the past several surveys, it's mixed. But most recently, he said it's looking very steady. And he thinks that there's enough money out there in farm economy that it will hold farmland assets steady and everyone is willing to pay for it. So he believes that there will continue to be demand surging there as well. Yeah, his famous saying is good farms sell good and other farms will still sell. So, yes, there's still quite a bit of demand up there for our quality assets. We also see that Case International has broke through their own horsepower threshold stealing. Their Steiger tractor is 715 quad track headlines now. The largest horsepower output, they have broke through their ceiling, and now that tractor comes with peak horsepower at 778 horsepower. This comes from a C16 TST engine. Case IH says tractors were built with farmer feedback from the drawing board. They look to have increased capabilities. One of the biggest benefits for farmers is an extra two mile per hour road speed. It's got a longer track design, the ability to have dual displays, a new hood design, as well as LED lighting and 27% more LED lights, the redesigned exhaust and an updated cab with premium sound control, both for keeping noise out and keeping noise in Delaney. The AccuTurn Pro is a push of button for the use of full autonomy. It gives the operator hands-free steering and automatic repeatable end row turns for those using this tractor in tillage. So some latest technology coming out of the Case IH camp. Well, Tina, the other big headline I have for today is coming out of Russia, Ukraine once again. Ukrainian troops are reportedly nearing Bakhmut once again and trying to recapture nearby villages in the area. A recapture of Bakhmut would be a significant morale booster for the Ukrainian forces after they heavily fought over this town and it fell into Russian hands back in May. This could also really kind of turn the tables for Russia and get them uh, a little bit more on the defense. However, with the fall rapidly, with fall rapidly approaching, uh, Russian defenses are looking to gain an advantage during what they call is mud season, which is right before the winter freeze comes in Ukraine, which will create major hindrances, they said, for a physical movement of troops and machinery. So as we continue to watch that there, we might get reports very soon on if Bakhmut was taken by Ukraine or not, Tanner. But as of the latest I knew, it doesn't sound that like that had happened yet. But one thing we do know that has happened is continued rift between Ukraine and some of their external allies as the dispute over grain exports continues. Ukraine, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, etc. They all announced restrictions on imports on Friday, 
after the EU decided not to extend a ban on sales within Ukraine's five EU neighbors. However, Poland, Slovakia, and Hungary specifically now have said that they plan to enforce that regardless of what the EU says. And Tanner, this could certainly create some continued tension there between those countries as well, but haven't heard officially what that means as far as getting grain out of the country. And if Ukraine plans to answer that ban from those independent countries. Yeah, it's uh, an article that I kept an eye on. All I've got left is just a couple of headlines coming out of Russia and Ukraine. President Joe Biden will continue to expect to meet with his cabinet members in Washington on Thursday to discuss the UN's General Assembly. Ukrainian forces have liberated more than 300 square kilometers, according to senior officials that are talking with CNN. Seven top Ukrainian officials have been dismissed as part of a major shakeup for the country's defense ministry. Unfortunately, two elderly people were killed by Russian shelling in Kyrgyzstan and Odessa civilian infrastructure area during a massive aerial attack. But Ukrainians still remain optimistic overall for the situation, but know that the future ahead of them remains difficult. But that's what I've got for news today. With the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. We've got a new face on the podcast. Isn't that the way to do that, Delaney, since podcasts have no faces? I uh, we've got a new guest on the podcast for a Market Monday conversation. Happy to have Ashley, the grain lady here, to discuss where grains are sitting today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Since this is your first time jumping on, let's give our listeners a little extra background as to who you are and uh, what your connection to the markets is. Yeah, so I uh, live in South Central uh, North Dakota. I worked for a couple different elevators, uh, and then in July of 2021, um, I started a uh, cash grain marketing company. Uh, so we focus mainly on helping farmers uh, through education, understanding basis, and how how to kind of uh, work with elevators to figure out their best ways to get uh, the best cash price for their crops. Yeah, and you got to spend a little bit of time out in uh, Husker Harvest Days, wandered yes. around there for a couple of days. <laughs> did you see anything that was fun? Well, I I did. Um, Husker Harvest Day, it was a trek to get down there, don't get me wrong. Uh, it definitely took took a lot of time, but um, I saw, um, I really liked the... <laughs> So Syngenta had a beer tent in this in the corner, and one of their little games with it was like a cash grabbing kind of game, and I actually got to do that and got a little money on that, so that was nice. Uh, met with Corey and yourself and David um, at the Sukup bin, or yeah, Sukup bin there, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a lot of fun. It was 
very packed for two for two days. Yeah, it sounded like it. And looking at Twitter, it looked like everyone um, that's anyone in Twitter, ag Twitter world was there. But actually, as we look at markets today, certainly seeing a pretty weekday, especially in the soybean markets. What's the headline driving these markets today? Yeah, this was so for this being my first time, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, so for soybeans, uh, we saw Friday come out with those numbers uh, for crush. Uh, being at a 11 month low um, at 161.4 uh, million bushels, which for August. And so that was the lowest, like I said, for 11 months, but it was a lot lower than what uh, traders were kind of anticipating. Uh, so that uh, coupled with, you know, we're seeing Brazil go a little bit quicker into planting season. Uh, we are still seeing, you know, you're seeing managed money still have a long position. And so that's, you know, helpful, but being in the market that we are right now, we're seeing basis drop uh, throughout the country, especially on soybeans, just because we're not having the export demand that we need. Uh, we did see a sale this morning to China, but I mean, that's just regular business uh, and we need to see those to even have a glimmer of hope <laughs> for an export program. But I would say, you know, crush is where we're supposed to be. And if if these numbers, I'm hoping that these numbers aren't too bad. Um, I hope that they indicate maybe some plants are doing some maintenance because of the low volume in like old crop and they're not getting new crop in too quickly. Um, but we are seeing some pressure uh, just from harvest and and seeing those numbers come out. Plus, I mean, that's yeah, it. we ended today below the, you know, 200 day moving average too. So that's something to indicate. Yes. I'm glad you added that in there. I was just going to ask the two part question that included that. Uh, yeah. It's interesting also when you watch Twitter and the sentiment is of what the heat stress did to yields, how mm -hmm. much movement do we have to have downward in actual yields to probably bring some excitement back to the soybean market? Oof. Um, I would say, you know, to have a significant impact, you know, something that I would say that the market would have to care about, you would have to see probably a 10 bushel average lower um, to mm -hmm. see a significant impact. Now we are, I mean, we're already really tight. Don't get me wrong. We're very tight on, on the balance sheet, but uh, we're not we just don't have any, we don't have anywhere on the export side to go with it. We, there is, I mean, there's definitely some demand with soy oil. I mean, they are, they are taking it left and right, but you're not getting anywhere with soy meal. Um, so, yeah. So Ashley, you mentioned you focus really heavily on the cash side of things and basis, yeah. especially for soybeans right now has not been uh, very mm. strong. When you look at customers up in the PNW area there with the Dakotas, we're obviously continuing to watch barge levels. Has that started to play out yet in basis levels? Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing it kind of play out here, I would say in the last three weeks. Um, you've been seeing shuttle loaders get a little bit a little bit less aggressive and and more, I guess, trying to push you towards the processor. We do have uh, one processor that's supposed to be coming up and running here in the Dakotas. Uh, I think I have bids for January from them. 
And so they wanted to be, you know, they wanted to be in the market for for new crop, but they just couldn't get it done. But they should be up in January. Um, and they're, I mean, they're pretty aggressive with their with their buy. And so is the there's a couple different places down in South Dakota that are also fairly aggressive. Uh, but the shuttle loaders definitely um, are trying to encourage the farmers to just go directly to the plants themselves. And and we've been seeing it, like I said, in the last three weeks. Uh, as far as barge goes, yeah, I I have never. I'm from uh, originally. I'm from Minnesota, and I have never seen uh, the Mississippi as low as it has been uh, in my lifetime. It's crazy. <laughs> so I've been seeing quite a few headlines in the corn side of things as well. And it seems yep. like it's almost running parallel to what the soybeans are experiencing. Would you concur? It is. Yeah. So, I mean, for a long time, well, for this last three years, um, you know, we've seen corn and soybeans both rally, uh, but soybeans a little bit, I would say more, you know, a lot more in a percentage wise, but right now we are seeing both corn and soybeans kind of fall together. And today, uh, December, 23, you know, closed below a pretty significant support level of the support level is 473 and a half. And we closed here. I just got to make sure 471 and a half, um, I think is where we settled. So, I mean, that is, if any, you know, if you read any other analysts, um, any people that, you know, look at the future side or technicals, they're going to tell you that that is, um, is a bearish signal. Um, you might see some short-term support just because it is so low. Uh, but in the long term, that doesn't that doesn't pan out very well. Ashley, as we look at the continuing escalation here of Russia, Ukraine, what's the picture here for wheat? Because I've certainly talked to a lot of farmers who are now thinking, do we grow wheat in 2024? And I know we still haven't fully finished the 23 crop, but I think farmers are starting to think about those decisions now. Yeah. Um, so in the Dakotas up this way, you know, Wheat is, uh, spring wheat especially, it does it helps our, our corn crop the next year. And so that's typically why somebody has it in rotation. Also because they're, you know, their grandfathers did it. So why not them? Um, but I would say, you know, as far as Russia-Ukraine goes, I, we you are seeing, you know, I think it was Poland, Slovakia, and, oh, I think there was one more. Uh, they... They wanted to admit people to come through uh, to do some transportation of wheat, um, but they didn't want to purchase any more after Friday's um, expiration of that deal. So I would say uh, it's just it's really hard when you talk about, you know, spring wheat and winter wheat just because that market is so thin. Um, I am seeing some people down in like Kansas, Oklahoma, they're putting in some winter wheat still ahead of, you know, putting in something. Uh, but I would say, I mean, every year we're seeing it go lower and lower uh, as far as planted acres go. And I would say this, this would be a year that you could see possibly some more spring wheat only if you see corn kind of stay at this area. Typically what I like to see is, is like a one and a half difference between spring wheat and corn. So if, you know, spring wheat is about one and a half times better than corn, you can typically pencil it depending upon what your inputs are. So as you look across the markets and, and work with your customers, what's the biggest common consideration that you and your clients are working through this week? 
Uh, well, it's definitely, you know, figuring out what we have to bring in uh, to the elevators and where we should be going with it at Harvest. Uh, a, a fair amount of my guys um, either got storage this last year or we figure, figured out some commercial stuff. And so that's kind of nice. But um, we are, I, I would say that we did this about a week and a half ago because we were trying to be proactive and just getting better numbers to where we should lock in bases. Uh, because like I said, in the harvest, in the harvest time frame, I personally don't see it getting better in, on the Western Corn Belt side. Eastern Corn Belt side, I do have a guy over, or I have a couple gentlemen over in Ohio. Um, there's, there's this mixed. Uh, you're seeing some people come on with like some flash bids where they just want to get a little bit of a better, you know, gauge as to where the farmer wants to sell. And so their basis kind of is sporadic, but I would say in this, in this Western Northern part, um, I don't see us getting better until, until we see full combines rolling and in, in maybe into the new year. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I am out of headlines for today as well, aside from chatting markets. So what do you say we dig in quick here and take a look? Well, share the news. Well, as we look at markets here on this Monday afternoon, markets are certainly deflated after. Well, we'll get we'll leave it to Ashley to discuss why markets were deflated for today. But December corn down four and three quarters cents at four seventy one and a half. No new crop beans down at 23 and a half cents at 13, 16 and three quarters. As we hop down to look at wheat today, December Chicago wheat down 13 at 591 and a quarter. December hard red winter wheat down 11 and a half at 735. And spring wheat, December contract down 15 cents at 774. As we look at the livestock markets here today and where they ended, Tanner, most of them were in the red. October live cattle shed 60 cents at 186.32. October feeder cattle shed $3.52.5 to close at 260.95. And October lean hogs added 12.5 cents to close the day out at 83.25. Well, like I said, we thank her for joining us and getting that first one out of the way. It's always good to bring in new connections for our listeners. Want to remind you also, to subscribe to the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or by visiting nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. Well, Delaney, we got Monday out of the way. We got a good week ahead of us. But what do you say? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go.